1: Wednesday, December 21st, 2022, from Peachfish Productions. It's the gist I'm Mike Pesca. The omnibus spending bill, as its name implies, a load. A $1.7 trillion. What's the word? Large? Imposing? girthy, Of considerable substance?
2: It's a $1.7 trillion plan.
3: Enormous spending bill proposal. A massive $1.7 trillion government funding bill.
2: Bottom line is that this is a huge piece of legislation.
1: It's good we have a variety of media outlets for different synonyms, if not perspectives. Even the Wall Street Journal's automated article voice technology, the JagoBot 2000, Couldn't believe how big the omnibus is.
0: A 4,155-page omnibus spending bill? That is the worst in history.
1: But $1.7 trillion to keep the government funded is pretty close to what the government needs. No one likes all that spending, but enough members of Congress like some of that spending to be leveraged against the members who like other parts of that spending to get what we got, which is all that spending. More went to the military than all the other programs combined. There are a lot of critics of that number, but not enough critics of any specific line within that number to shrink the overall number. Plus, we've got a war in Ukraine that is going surprisingly well without U.S. loss of life. According to Democrat Rosa DeLorio, chair of the House Appropriations Committee, non-military spending is $800 billion, a record. She's happy about that. Budget fretters aren't those sage grouses. I would like the overall spending to be lower. Why not? If I could, in a sentence, say, Mike, higher or lower, I'd say lower. Okay, cut what? Well, I could point to a tank or a rule about lobsters, but I can't get enough congressmen to agree with me for two reasons. One, that's just how politics are. Two, I'm not a member of Congress. We do have over $30 trillion in national debt, and at a time of increasing interest rates, that certainly will be a constraint on future ambitions. I'm not getting into the MMT debate because I were. You, if you were on the other side, would probably lose. But we are spending a billion dollars a day in interest payments. Over a billion a day, actually. The debt should be something. Interest payments of some fairly high amount are a fair price for progress. But if we don't pay down the debt, the constraints will be felt. There will be no room to save us during the next pandemic or crisis. So we've got a gargantuan, hefty, hulking bill before us. So it's party time for the 61 F-35 fighters and sad trombones for TikTok on government phones. It doesn't save money, but that is part of the rules. The government is now funded, abundantly so. On the show today, we're glad to welcome Vlad, or is Vladomir, is it where Galad? to welcome Vlad is Vladimir versus Vladimir the Kirsten Gillibrand Kirsten Cinema type debate in Ukraine Vlad Vlod no it's okay versus please it's Volodymir get, get it right little respect put some respect on my name which is Volodymir But first, Wildcat is a new documentary that's in select theaters today and on Amazon Prime starting on December 30th. It tells the story of a young British soldier struggling with mental health after the war and efforts to foster a baby ocelot back into the wild. Directors Trevor Frost and Melissa Lesh talk about making Wildcat up next. If you've seen even a still photo of the new documentary, Wildcat, and you're at all inclined to be captivated by what is one of the most beautiful animals I've ever seen, you are on board. You're hooked. The new movie premieres in theaters on December 21st. It's today. It's on Amazon Prime on 1230. It concerns a British Army veteran, a boy named Harry Turner, who goes to the Amazon in order to do for a cat a wild cat, what society couldn't do for him, which is to rescue him. There he meets Samantha Zwicker, an ecologist, and they combine to do their best to save nature. The two documentarians behind this beautiful documentary join me now, Melissa Lesh and Trevor Frost. Welcome to The Gist. Thank you for having us. How'd you find out about Harry?
2: So I was a still photographer before making this film, and I was in the Peruvian Amazon doing a reconnaissance mission of sorts, looking for anacondas, which are the largest snake on Earth, Mm -hmm. hoping to put together enough of a sort of photo package that I could convince National Geographic magazine to to give me another story.
1: I know they did once make made a movie called Anaconda, but not a documentary, quite pointedly. I believe LL Cool J might've been in it, but I might be wrong. That might've been a shark movie, but please go on.
3: This would have been a very different documentary if we had focused on that.
2: <laughs> as luck would have it, I was not finding um, many Anacondas in, in, on this expedition. So I spent 60 days looking for them and only found two at the very end. And as a result, I was spending a lot of time sitting in this hotel uh, sort of figuring out what I was going to do next. How are we going to, you know, increase our chances of finding anacondas? And one day I was sitting in the lobby of this hotel and Harry Turner walked by me and obviously he's covered in tattoos, quite striking to look at. And a friend of mine that was working with me on the Anaconda Project knew him and leaned over and said, you, you know, you'll never believe his story and told me a little bit about Harry's backstory. And about three days after that, I was um, sitting in, in that same hotel in, in a hotel room, and I had the chance to meet Harry and Samantha, who's the other main character of the film. And they brought with them a, a hard drive and they plugged it into my computer and said, You know, we want to show you some, some, some video that we've recorded over the last few years, you know, living and working together in the Amazon rainforest. And when I saw the footage, I was absolutely blown away. I mean, not just by the quality of the cinematography, but, but also when they chose to keep recording, when others would have stopped recording. I, I just couldn't believe what I was seeing. So I immediately called Melissa on the satellite phone that I had and told her, you know, I've just stumbled upon this remarkable story that we've got to turn into a short film. And then, um, you know, a month later. Yeah. yeah, we
3: were back home in Virginia and, um, got a call from Samantha on the satellite phone that they had just rescued their second ocelot. So the archive footage that we had, that was a past story that was a a previous cat that they had worked to reintroduce. And Keanu now this new ocelot rescue was a second chance. It was a a redemption. Um, And for us, it was the opportunity to follow this story in real time, and to what ended up being go, you know, 13 trips down to the Peruvian Amazon and and capture this, this, this second wildlife reintroduction.
1: It had never been done, to anyone's knowledge, uh, an ocelot that, what, was captured by poachers being reintroduced to the wild?
3: Not in this way, yeah. This was a very unique, the, the kind of one-on-one relationship, spending that amount of time with a cat in the rainforest. There, was, there had been a couple examples of people that had tried it with different cats, um, but not quite in this way. And, you know, the, the science of reintroduction is very new and we're now, you know, up against this this issue of of trying to rewild ecosystems and take animals that should be wild and that have been taken from their homes. So how do we return them versus you know the the opposite being in a zoo or being um in in a worse condition like their teeth ground down or their claws ripped out
2: i want to add that it's even bigger than that 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 this rewilding work that that harry and samantha did and that Samantha is continuing um with oja nueva which is her organization she's still down there she lives she's been living down there for, for three years now nonstop. um work continuing this work she now has close to 20 20 different cats at various stages of reintroduction um, this work is, is more important than simply taking, you know, orphaned animals and returning them to the wild. This work is going to be critical to restoring entire ecosystems, entire landscapes that have been degraded and denuded by, by humans. Um, and, you know, we're at a, pla- at a place in time now where, where so many, you know, ecosystems and environments around the world are, are being destroyed much, very, very, very quickly. And so. One of you know what's so critical to this work is that it's going to allow us at a certain point to reintroduce many of these animals and rebuild these ecosystems, and that's not only critical to to, to having just healthy ecosystems for the animals themselves, but that's critical to um, combating climate change and to you know also helping ensure that humans have a healthy planet to live on.
1: Well, this is a much more personal uh, story than that than saving the planet, and it's and y- you don't have to do a lot of work to make the analogy between what Harry is trying to do in saving this cat and a little bit what Samantha is trying to do in saving Harry, but Harry doesn't really find, have a place in society anymore. I mean, and these aren't, these are themes that must have so obviously presented themselves to you that I could imagine you, your conversations were almost like, you know, we have to back up a little bit from this or otherwise we're really laying it on thick.
3: Yeah, I think when we started this process, kind of one of the driving ideas was the the healing power of nature you know trevor and i both are drawn to wild places we've spent a lot of our work in in you know remote environments Um, and we've also you know myself i i experienced early childhood trauma trevor struggled with depression for about a decade now Um, and so why you know why are we drawn to these places what are the things about our experiences and lived you know lived experiences that make us kind of gravitate um, to wild places or, or animals. And I think we see that, and it was something we wanted to explore in Harry and Samantha as well. You know, the things that they've been through in their lives and oftentimes, you know, struggle with actually led them to do the work that they're doing now um, and became really powerful parts of who they are. Um, so that was something that we, we came into, we, we felt like there was something there, and of course, in making a movie, there's so much you can't predict. And so a lot of it, a lot of the nuance of the story and the connections and the, the themes of, of letting go and, and um, who's saving who, you know, un, un, unveiled themselves in the process of making the movie.
2: Yeah. We didn't, for example, um, Harry is somebody that, you know, one, another filmmaker who just watched the film, she described Harry as someone that's too sensitive to live in society. And that's a, a pretty accurate way of describing them. Like, and, and you know, PTSD, and, and, and is that tend, it tends to be sort of one of the, the um, characteristics that you see in someone that has PTSD is that they're very easily triggered by things, by noises, by commotion, by lots of people. Um, and, and so Harry was very obvious, you know, in the sense that he struggled. And, and, and you, you could see that he was somebody that ha- had a lot that tormented him. Whereas Sam is very composed and she's very um, co- in control. And, and so we didn't know a lot about Sam. And so actually it wasn't until like eight months into the filming process um, when Sam's father passed away that she began talking to us about her father. And when we learned about her father and we learned that he was an alcoholic and that, you know, that he was abusive at times, um we you know sort of started uncovering some of some of this other stuff and 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 that of course then led to this sort of idea of you know um samantha having trouble letting go of harry so stuff like that really sort of happened in the in the process and and that was you know that was true throughout the entire process of making the film that it was it was a you know peeling back of layers
1: their dedication is laudable their hearts are huge i think this next question is more about harry than than Samantha, but strictly speaking, what are their qualifications?
3: Yeah, it's a good question. It's it's one thing that we were obviously very aware of in making this film. You know, we see Samantha. She has a scientific background. She's getting her Ph.D. uh, at the University of Washington. She's she was actually working in the Peruvian Amazon for about seven years prior to making this movie. Um, Camera trapping. Largely, her work was um, working with jaguars and um, you know, so she had, she had very much been a part of that environment, that ecosystem, she had built a very strong foundation with the, with the communities there, um, other nonprofits. And so you know, her level of expertise, she also had this ability to connect with other scientists in terms of what are the current publications of ocelot diets, what do we know about? There had been very little research because again, you have kind of captive ocelots but you never had this wild cap. It's essentially, you have wild ocelots, data for wild ocelots, data for captive ocelots, but this is a kind of hybrid of the two, you could say. She brought a lot of scientific background um, and you know, credibility to, to the work. Harry, on the other hand, you know, he was basically right out of, I mean, he, was, he had come out of war and then he had worked in the Amazon rainforest as a volunteer for a period of time before they met. And so his experience really came from actually living in the rainforest. And I think this is something that's important to highlight because oftentimes we talk about what are the certifications that you have, what are the degrees that you have, but it's not always about what is your lived experience or you know, how long have you spent in a place. And his ability to navigate the jungle, you know, the the people that he learned from that are local, whether they were former loggers or people in the community. He had a uh, kind of a deep ingrained knowledge of that environment. So I think it's, it's what's on paper, but it's also beyond that. And when you combine their two approaches and their two experiences, I think it, it created a perfect you know, symbiosis of, of what they needed to actually physically do the work and then also what they needed to inform the work.
1: The documentary I was most thinking of was Grizzly Man. And I know you were too, because that was in the press notes. And I was thinking of Timothy Treadwell, the uh, main character there. And I was thinking of how Werner Herzog positioned him. And Herzog, of course, has, I think, a very, very unsentimental view of nature. I mean, he both loves it, but he knows it's pitiless and there's nothing. I mean, there's things to take your breath away, but that could be a good or bad thing. And so I guess... On the one hand, you both are filmmakers. You followed the story you were given. But what I took away from Grizzly Man is something like there are serious things about nature that dilettante Westerners get in over their heads with. And I was wondering if that was not the story with Harry. But I was wondering if when you were thinking about Grizzly Man, if you were wondering about those themes and how it might apply to this story or not.
2: Yeah, I mean, it was certainly something that we thought about, you know, what like, it was certainly a film that we considered a comp in certain ways. Um, You know, obviously, Timothy Treadwell filmed so much of himself. Um, You know, he his his sort of mental health struggles were, I think, very different from from Harry and Samantha's. Um, Also, you know, Harry and Samantha, where they went into the forest. Um, it, you know, it's remote, but there was also like a community there, you know, this river that they live on. There's other nonprofits that are operating in the area, and there's a lot of local people that, that live nearby. And some of those local people are farmers that are farming cacao for chocolate. Um, others are, you know, farming papaya, and some of them are illegal loggers. And so there's this whole collection of people, whether they're local or indigenous or, or foreigners that are all living on this river. And, even though harry and samantha lived on this platform together they weren't they they weren't too far away from being able to find other people and 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 you know connect with them if they if they wanted to they did spend a decent amount of time alone um, but it wasn't you know what harry and, and sam did it was certainly not the same as sort of like uh, into the wild you know that story where he he sort of just um, went off into the wilderness by himself with a backpack and like hoped to survive
3: I think the comp with Grizzly Man is interesting though because one of the things that we saw in that film that we really wanted to embrace in ours is this first-person POV and you know you see Timothy Treadwell obviously that was an archive that you know Werner uh, got a hold of but with with Wildcat we knew very early on that we couldn't have access to Keanu and the reintroduction as part of their protocol they didn't want anyone else to be around him.
1: So what were the rules? So tell me, take me through the rules.
3: That was the number one rule. They didn't want anyone else to have access to him. They wanted him to be as wild as possible, right? And so for us, that's a big challenge when you want to make a film about a reintroduction of an ocelot and you can't film the cat. Um, And so we, you know, at first we did see that as a challenge, but I think seeing the archive that they had already filmed and their ability with the camera, it was stunning and it was something that we... Quite quickly, thought. Let's embrace. Let's embrace this. Let's work with them. Let's bring down cameras, um, you know. Get good infrared so we can so they can film at night. Uh, you know, DSLRs, whatever's small, compact, and able to survive in the Amazon. We went through several cameras because a lot of them get fungus and you know end up dying. But it was something we really wanted to embrace, and so that that intimacy that you feel that right being right there in those moments because a lot of it is happening just by chance and so much of it we could never either we weren't there for it or um it's just hard to predict
1: but you never interacted with the ocelot correct this is this must have been frustrating i mean you're there for the ocelot i mean you're there for the story but the ocelot's the story you said the ocelot was the star
3: yeah it's I wouldn't say it's frustrating. It it, we, it gave us respect. It gave us respect for the work that they were doing because so many places will have wild animals and people will come down and take pictures and, you know, they'll get money. And that was not what was happening. This was this was not about the the money making or the image, you know, of this place. It was very much about the work that was happening. And so honestly, seeing that protocol was um was really refreshing and was was something that we knew this is this is legitimate. They want the best for the cat. The only time we actually saw Keanu was when he was released, and he started coming back to the platform because at mm-hmm. that point they couldn't control where he went. So-
1: Are you worried if this thing blows up, everyone's going to want a baby ocelot?
3: If that's the takeaway, I think we failed, it, or they haven't watched the movie.
2: So far, we've had well, in, in all the interviews we've done and, and 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 stuff, we've had one person that said, "Oh, it made me made me you know want a baby ocelot," but but by and large. And they were pe- joking. You they know, were obviously, joking. people see that yeah. uh, you know it's a not something that is meant for for you to have at home. You know, wild animals are notoriously difficult to have, um, and and that's one of the reasons why you know their fate um, is is often pretty awful um, when they when they are taken from the wild, especially when they're young. Um, and and that kind of circles back to something you brought up earlier, and that's like the qualification thing, and it's something that I always like to bring up, and that's that this idea that um, and we live in a world that, as I said, is changing so quickly and, and, and so many animals are being lost, you know, going extinct and, and entire ecosystems are disappearing. Um, and there's so many issues right now. Um, and we live in a world where I think people are sort of paralyzed by a fear of like getting in trouble or not having the right certifications to do something good. And I think one of the things that, that I want people to celebrate in this film is that Harry and Samantha were two young people who uh, came across this ocelot and and saw the opportunity to try and give it a, a second chance at life, and maybe they didn't have the perfect qualifications to be doing it. Um, and frankly, no one does because this work is all relatively new. Um, but you know, they basically said, "Well, it's going to end up, you know, as a pet, and its claws are going to be ripped out, its teeth will be ripped out. Um, it'll be fed hot dogs and sweetened condensed milk, um, or it'll end up in a, you know, a really um, terrible zoo." Um, so if we take it and we give it our best shot, is that gonna be a better life for, for this ocelot than the alternative? And the answer to that is an unequivocal yes. And, and so I think what, what, what we need to see more of in this world is more people that see something that's wrong and they, they take action to make it right.
1: Trevor Beck, Frost, and Melissa Lesh are the co-directors of the new film, Wildcat, streaming on Amazon beginning December 30th. Trevor and Melissa, thank you so much. Thank Thank you for having us. And now the spiel. You might think the world's biggest development in leadership was Elon Musk saying of Twitter, I'm out of here like Vladimir. But in fact, there's bigger news in out of hearing Vladimirs or Volodymyr's. It was Zelensky who left Ukraine for the first time since the war began to come to the US to say actually I'm staying right there. The US responded by pledging, well there are different figures, it's 8 billion directly for Ukraine, it's over 40 billion for Ukraine and NATO allies. That's part of the giant annual spending bill. And as is proper procedure in all pledge drives, Biden gets a prize. Zelensky Told the president that this prize, a medal, comes straight from the neck of a very brave Ukrainian captain.
2: He is the captain of Heimer's battery. Yes. He's very brave and he said, give it to very brave president. And I want to give you that is the cross. Cross for military merit.
1: If you couldn't pick that up, the captain was bravely manning the HIMARS weapons system. Those are the missiles that have afforded the Ukrainians greater range and speed in their artillery fight with the now outgunned Russians. Biden could have said, well, you know, it is an American system that he's using. So bravery's great, but bravery and better weapons, that's a lot better. What I'm saying is it's only right you kick back a little upstairs, a taste for the big guy. Okay, that would be gauche. Looming over, this meeting is, of course, another Vladimir, this one an actual Vladimir. If Zelensky's the good Vlad, Putin's the bad Vlad, but the bad Vlad's glad that his country has the, friends,
0: the,
3: the Sarmat 2 missile.
1: That was Putin telling his generals that the Sarmat Ballistic-2 missile, which some call, although maybe just the British tabloids, the Satan-2 missile. I don't know, all ballistic nuclear missiles seem fairly satanic. Anyway. Putin was saying a couple of weeks ago, we're really happy, it's good to go. He's been doing this lately, just referencing all the nukes he has. It's a standard part of his arsenal. But actual functional standard missiles are becoming a rarer and rarer part of the Russian arsenal. So this is a war pitting, yeah, it's true, aggressor against offender, conscript against, let's say, patriot. But it's also a war pitting one combatant with resources who are waning against another with resources that are still flowing. Thanks largely to you and I. This is why Zelensky is here. Every salesman knows that you have to make the occasional trip to keep your suppliers happy. So when you hear about the majority of the $1.7 trillion omnibus bill being omnibus. I love saying omnibus. The omnibus bill being military aid. And if you're tempted to, I'd say justifiably wonder, really, where is all that 900 billion or so dollars going? And you're also wondering, can't some of it be redirected or just saved? The answer is yes, of course, some of it can. But know that a big part of the 5,000 or so dollars spent in the name of every American, but funded by every American, less funded than spent, which gives us our deficit. But you know, it comes out to 5,000, little more than $5,000 for every man, woman and child makes up that $1.7 trillion omnibus. And a decent part of that is going to stop Vladimir Putin. I don't mean it's gonna stop him. I mean, that's what it's going towards. And it seems to be working pretty well. We're repelling Russians, we're keeping Ukrainians from subjugation. Zelensky gave Biden a medal, but the message is that the generosity of America, meaning Americans, is what is driving the so far successful and heartening Ukrainian war effort. It's generosity of us, you and I, and it's also self-interest of our country. But certainly, the coin is going toward a good cause. I'm happy to spend it. I say, we should all be. Where's our medal? I don't know. Sometimes the thank you get is the prevention of an injustice halfway around the world. An injustice that certainly would have occurred if it weren't for the prosperity of our relatively comfortable society, safely ensconced thousands of miles away. And that's it for today's show. Corey War is the gist's producer, but now he has to scram like Abraham. Joel Patterson, just senior producer, would like to concur, like Christopher. Michelle Pesca is the COO of Peachfish Productions, a job she performs with the competency of Anthony. Go to Twitter, where our accounts are. PescaGist, and my personal account, Pescami, P-E-S-C-A-M-I. So please follow us like Nicholas. The Gist is presented in collaboration with advertise AdvertiseCast. For advertising inquiries, go to AdvertiseCast.com slash The Gist. They offer the expertise of Aristophanes. G pru duperu. And thanks for listening to all these rechristenings.